Hey, what's up? You're listening to the podcast edition of The Cutting Room, the show where we talk to industry-leading marketing professionals about their philosophy, process, and pregame before they edit an article live. I'm your host, Tommy Walker, and thank you so much for tuning in. My guest today is Ryan Law, the VP of Content at Animals, an industry-leading content marketing agency. And in our conversation, we discuss applying more rigor to the content ideation phase, the role of AI in content marketing, and thinking beyond SEO. I hope you enjoy the show. Ryan, tell us a little bit about your content marketing philosophy and how it has evolved over time. I would love to. Probably one of like the, the biggest shifts in my thinking has, I tend to talk about it as like the primacy of good ideas because I come very much from this like old school world of SEO content where everything I ever wrote was basically designed to target a keyword. And that was like my entire way I thought of content was within the box of SEO. And I joined Animals and at that time, like four and a half years ago, they didn't even do SEO for the most part. They had all this amazing success, with all these amazing customers, and it was all predicated on just like interesting content, good ideas, novel articulations of ideas. And it blew my mind, like the fact that you could create content and get good results from it without SEO even entering into the equation. So like the last few years at Animals, I've been exploring that a little bit more and kind of come to the conclusion that basically a, a good idea is something that can survive bad writing, but the inverse of that is never true. Like you can't write your way around a, a terrible idea. So actually, a lot of what I try and do and what a lot of I try and have other people do is to improve their process for having better ideas. So right at that very starting point of the content marketing workflow, focusing in on that part of it, the ideation, the coming up with topics in the first place, because, you know, content marketing is laden with processes and tools and tactics, and they're almost all focused on the writing and onwards portion. And we just haven't applied the same rigor to ideation and uh, coming up with those sorts of ideas. So yeah, that's a huge part of like how I think about content is, can we make the core idea better? And if we do that, uh, we probably don't need to worry about the other things like writing and distribution quite as much because uh, the idea will carry the day a little bit. I think that's fantastic. And one thing that I want to ask you about that too is, let's talk about the idea of applying pressure to ideas what's the how is your philosophy on that evolved over time because obviously like i think a lot of us start in that seo going after the keywords like that's most people's entry point but from a philosophical standpoint how has that sort of looked for you where you've changed your mindset around that and then applying pressure to those ideas to make better ideas put those out into the market i um I came across this idea, which is like lodged in my head ever since. And it's, you've probably heard of like uh, straw manning an argument. So it's like this you know, classic rhetorical device where if you don't want to, if it's not a favorable argument, if you don't think you're going to win, you can kind of shift the goalposts and erect the straw man, like a stand-in argument that isn't actually the thing you're talking about, but it lets you kind of win the argument. And the opposite of that, people refer to as steel manning. I love it. It's basically the process of trying to articulate the opposition's viewpoint as strongly and clearly and eloquently as you possibly can. Um, and when I came across that, I realized that like, that is basically the function of writing. That is how you make good persuasive writing. That is how you share good ideas. You have to inhabit the role of a very critical reader every time you're writing something. You have to put holes in it wherever you can. You have to be so brutally self-critical with what you're writing. Because if you don't do that, the reader will do it for you. And because of the kind of asynchronous nature of reading and writing, 
you have no recourse at that point. You can't preempt their questions. You can't answer it for them. Um, so that is basically my writing process is like, here's an interesting idea. Let's absolutely beat the living daylight out of it to find out the 8,000 ways it doesn't make sense and it's stupid. And the process of doing that is generally how you reach something that is yeah, a bit more valid, a bit closer to reality and a, a bit more helpful, I think. How are you going about applying pressure to those ideas? I think probably looking for real world examples. So it's quite easy to come up with like nice intellectual arguments that sound good in practice, but I think they're kind of empty if you then can't map it back to somebody in the real world that has actually used that to good effect and had good results from it. Uh, I guess related to that as well, like edge cases. Um, I'm a big fan of using like the rule of three in writing. So anytime you make a point or you use an example, don't just do one, do it three times because you're kind of proving that your argument is not reliant on a single edge case, like freak of nature, some fluke event. You're proving that you have like a whole body of things that validate what you're saying. Um, so yeah, I spend a lot of time just reading back the things I've read, the ideas I've had and trying to say like, how do I know this to be true just beyond it? Like feeling satisfying in my head, which is not always a good indicator of um, actual validity. So here's something I'm curious about too, because, and I don't say this, like I'm not trying to butter you up or anything, but you are one of the people that I would consider a thought leader in this space. And I mean that in like the most non-cringy way possible. Like literally your thoughts are leading the industry. How are you balancing that unproven territory with the stuff where it's like, oh, well, this is a little bit more tried and true, like attaching those two things where your thoughts do seem practical, even if they are, there's not a lot to back it up out, out there in the market. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I always get that right either. I think the reason people like animals in the blog is because we've basically chosen to focus on like the interesting stuff. And I'm a big believer that we're part of this kind of collaborative ecosystem of content. Like enough people have been writing about content marketing that most parts of it have been covered pretty well by someone somewhere. So we basically try not to focus on the stuff that like Moz or Ahrefs have done a fantastic job because what more could we add? So we're always looking for like the edge cases, the more advanced, maybe hypothetical, interesting things that may come to fruition and may provide some leverage. There's obviously this balancing act there where sometimes the simple things are just the thing you should be doing. And actually sharing all these amazing fancy ideas can be a distraction from just showing up, publishing more, targeting more keywords, just being more consistent. So I think actually like I like some of the feedback like readers share. I had this uh, great response to this article I published the other week um, from uh, John Henry Shirk, I think his name is. Lovely guy, amazing like content marketer. And he shared a really like articulate, erudite pushback against the article I'd written. And it was like bang on. Like I completely agreed with it. He was basically arguing that, you know, it's risky to explore future states and assume that Google is going to adopt all the patents it does, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's probably like just at the sweet spot of what we aim for. Like we want to be interesting enough that there's potentially leverage there that people can do something that hasn't been done a thousand times, but we don't want to get into the realms of like abstract ideas that have no bearing on reality. So this is going to seem a bit of a, a weird segue, but like how is AI playing a role in any of this or is AI playing a role in any of this or where do you see it fitting in with the bigger picture these days? Yeah, I'm trying to work that out for myself because... I remember I used GPT-3 for the very first time back in like May of 2020 because um, Andrew, who's our amazing head of R&D, showed me how to play with the API despite my lack of knowledge. And it just blew me away. There's this, I can't remember this really famous quote about um, you know, technology 
is basically indistinguishable from magic in certain cases. And this was the first time where I actually felt that was true because my entire career has been predicated on my ability to write well. And I right. put, essentially, I put the first chapter, the first like intro paragraph from the first book of The Green Priest into GPT-3 to see what it would do with it. And the content it spat back was like really good, like interesting. There was, it was like beautifully written as well. And it made me think that as much as we probably don't want to admit it, and as much as we thought creative processes would be immune from being disrupted by AI, this stuff is going to radically change how our industry functions and how we write stuff. I just I don't see any other end result from that. So the thing I'm thinking about at the moment is where is this going to like broach first? When are we going to feel the impact of this first? And I think my money's probably on simple SEO content. So stuff like listicles, how-tos, what-is articles. This is stuff that doesn't have like a hugely complicated narrative structure. And in a lot of cases, the subject matter we're writing about is very well represented in GPT-3's data set. So it knows a lot about it. Right. And that basically means you can very, very easily bootstrap a functional article. Like some stuff I've been doing, I've been writing about like the 20 best zombie books, for example. And all you're doing, you're basically just describing the plot of a book that is vaguely relevant. And AI can do that so well. And it's basically, I think, rendering this entire portion of content marketing, something that historically was not very fun and not very skilled. That's something AI can probably do pretty much as well as most human writers are going to do. So my money is that the bottom end of SEO content is going to become AI, like default. And we're going to have to focus our energy on higher leverage stuff and the things that AI can't do, like interviewing and narrative structure and coming up with contrarian ideas that reflect the nature of our world. What I think is interesting about this is that what the animals as a publication does, what animals as a company does, is really brings that heart and soul out of a company into the content that's being created. And what the AI is doing right now is the opposite of that. It's giving you the sort of basic framework. What I think is great about that, it allows you to take these ideas that can only be yours and bring it to the ideation phase of what we were talking about before and make it so that helps and assists with the process, but not overtake it entirely. Can you talk about that maybe a little bit more? Like writing is obviously, it's an inherently creative thing, especially when you do the kind of writing that we try and do on the animals blog, where you're not even writing to keywords, you're just coming up with ideas. But actually, our human brains are pretty fallible. And like, we actually suck quite a lot of the time at lots of creative things. A great example of this, I, I love talking about blog post titles. So I'm a big believer, something actually that Jimmy Daly instilled in me. The more blog post titles you write, the better the chances you have of landing a one that's actually going to be interesting, good, novel, differentiated. So I routinely ask people to say, like, write 20 titles and come back to me and we'll pick the best one. And what always happens, what always happened to me as well, is you come up with maybe two or three that are actually different. And then you create like 17 or 18 variations of whichever one you have already decided in your head is the best. It's very hard to break out of that mental rut and come up with stuff that is actually different. And AI does not have that same problem. It does not have those same human biases. So if you ask an AI to come up with 20 different titles for your blog post, it's going to come up with 20 different titles. And I think you can kind of apply that to lots of different creative processes. I love this quote from one of my favorite books. It's like um, where good ideas come from. And it's something along the lines of, 
the goal of like creativity is basically just to get more pieces on the table to play with. And AI is really good at bringing more pieces onto your table and giving you more stuff to play with and pick and choose from. Okay, so let's bring this into the next section of the show where we talk about process. Tell me a little bit about uh, your process from ideation to publishing. Where is AI playing a role in that nowadays, especially in helping you find a solid premise? Well, let's walk through all that. So the um, my ideation process for like the animals blog, for example, is super different to how I used to approach content because I used to be like a very rigid calendar oriented, like here is your six month content calendar and like come hell or high water, we're going to publish all of these exactly when I say we're going to do it. And as soon as I tried to bring that energy to the animals blog and write thought leadership, just totally fell apart. It was so hard to reconcile a kind of creative thinking that you needed to come up with the ideas that we write about with that kind of rigidity and that schedule. So now I'm much, much more fluid in terms of how I think about like process for planning content. We were talking a bit about this yesterday, actually, Tommy, like what are the Pareto principles of like ideation and creativity? And I basically come to the idea that you need to have one place where you put every single idea leaves your brain, regardless of whether you think it's good or bad. And then you have to come back to it and make time to review and process and look for like commonalities between ideas, ask what would happen if you smush them together and come up with a new idea as a result of it. Um, so a big part of what I do is just, I read a ton of stuff. I write down my reactions to it, the questions that it leads me with. And I try and make time every single week to come back to that list of ideas and say like, what am I still interested in? Which of these is the most like pressing problem that people are experiencing right now? What am I most excited to write? And uh, the thing that I normally find is the best articles we end up publishing are the ones that probably were like three or four different ideas through playing with them and writing scrappy bits of them. I realize there's some bigger narrative that kind of sits above all of it. Um, I guess interesting, that's kind of a parallel to um, how I think about writing fiction as well. For me, a book is basically a collection of individual satisfying scenes. So I didn't know how to write a book. It was this huge, terrifying thing. So I just wrote some short stories. And I looked back at the commonalities and the themes and the character development that was the same between all of them and realized that, hey, there's this bigger story that could connect all of them together. Um, so that, yeah, that's fundamentally how I, I think about process for planning content for animals. In terms of AI, like it's not really a part of that process yet. I'm trying to work out what that looks like. Um, okay. I've been writing articles with AI, like SEO stuff, like from scratch to see what that's like. And I've been using it for things like title generation, but I've not brought it into the like, what ideas can we have phase yet? I think that's um, something that's definitely worth exploring. One of the articles that you've written that I reference quite a bit is the second mover advantage article, right? In which you talk about looking at Google is like looking into the night sky and the light that you're seeing is from billions of years ago. And that's kind of what search results are like right now. I love it. It's brilliant. I claimed it as my own in so many ways. Um, <laughs> what does that look like when you're going from, if you come up with that, are you drilling, like how is that kind of playing into the rest of the process? I guess, like, are you jumping off of that as an idea and then building off more ideas or what does that look like? One of the things I love about the animals blog is it, I noticed this first with Jimmy's stuff, because obviously the first thing I did when I took over was I read everything he'd ever written on there. And you see this like geological record of ideas evolving over time. And normally the really like uncannily smart and prescient and pithy article he wrote was preceded by like two or three 
slightly different articulations that skirted around that idea a little bit. So that article in particular was actually like two less good articles to begin with, one of which was all about HubSpot and HubSpot's content marketing and why I didn't think it was very good today, used to be very good. And another one about the idea of like, you don't have to be the first, you can be the second and you can embrace that. And through the process of writing both of those, I realized it was the same, same narrative. That was the same thing I was looking at from two different perspectives. So in that way as well, like that article then becomes like a, a data point that feeds into future stuff. Because a lot of stuff I've written about like information gain and the fallibility of Google search results, they're all building on those same few ideas. They're all just like the next level of that or thinking about how you apply that idea in a slightly different context. They're basically, I think they're all part of the same bigger overarching narrative. It, it's quite a fun, satisfying way to write. Like you're kind of bootstrapping off your own previous ideas to come up with new stuff. What I think is great about that, too, is especially where, as it relates specifically to Second Mover Advantage, but more broadly to the conversation, is that there are so many different people in the space, and everybody's saying a lot of the same stuff nowadays. And, and what you're able to do with this idea of Second Mover Advantage, using HubSpot as a great example of this, is taking what they've already done and doing exactly the opposite of what they're doing, which I would say the animals blog and a lot of what that work is centered around is exactly that, right? You see what everybody else is doing, do what nobody else is doing, and then you've carved out a little spot for yourself. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your process. So you've gotten past the ideation phase. You know you've got some good ideas. What's next? I generally, so I will try and write a first draft. I'm the kind of person that I just like to sit down and write an entire article and like not think too much about it. Um, and it's kind of interesting because we have like a very rigorous editing process at Animals that all articles go through. And what I realized personally as I was doing this was that I didn't find it hugely helpful for the stuff I was writing for our blog. Because a lot of it was focused on basically, we assume that the idea is valid, and then we look at how we can articulate that idea in the best possible way. And that wasn't really the input I wanted and found helpful. So what I would typically do then is find people at Animals or even people like in our wider network that I think could add something to this or could beat the idea up or just like chat through it. And like all the editing part of it from this perspective was always focused on the idea. It's like this idea worth pursuing. What questions does this leave you with? How credible do you find this? I'm going to actually stop you right there. How are you validating those ideas? Good question. I mean, well, so part of it comes from like where the source of it for like one point of view. So one of the things Jimmy always talked about was the best source of stuff to write about is the problems like prospects and customers are solving. So if you have somebody talking about a problem 10 times or 10 customers mention it, that to my mind is pre-validated. So like that is a problem that is worth solving. That's good. I guess in terms of like something that's a bit more like nebulous, like some of the articles we've written, it's maybe do other people that are smarter than me, do they understand more of the world than they did previous to reading the thing I just wrote about? There's this idea of like, we're trying to draw like concrete lines around really nebulous things. Like the best articles, you read them and you go, oh, I didn't know that was the name of that thing. Like you've had the experience, you recognize it. And that's really easy. Like that's really obvious in hindsight. That's a really hard thing to do because you're basically trying to synthesize all these different data points, things you've seen in the world and tie it into a coherent narrative. If you can do that, if somebody reads that and they go like, oh, that's exactly the thing I didn't know I needed a name for, 
that is probably like the best way to validate that idea, I think. Yeah, cool. All right. So you've validated the idea you've developed the idea, you've validated the idea. Let's go forward. You personally, it sounds like you're not an outliner. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge advocate of outlining, actually. Like, oh, big, you are? Okay. Yeah, I absolutely am. Like everything I do. I mean, so you got a sneak preview of the notes I took for this session yeah. now. I did an outline for this session. Like that's just how my brain operates. Yeah, I can either, sometimes I'll get input on the outline or sometimes the outline is just for me and that's from me structuring my idea and then I turn that into a first draft. That's normally like part of that process, but always outline. Big advocate of always, always outlining because you, it's much easier to see when things are going to go off the way, rails or when ideas are kind of unevenly weighted when you're looking at like a hundred words instead of a thousand words. So big mm -hmm. fan of doing that. One of the parts of our process that I think is really important is then trying to articulate whatever core concept, and we should really only be talking about one core idea in every article. Is there a way we can represent that visually? Because I think that is a really useful exercise to kind of refine your, your clarity and your thinking. And it's also a great way to improve the spread of this idea. If you have an image that articulates everything you want to get across in this article, that is a really powerful, potent thing to do. So I'm a big advocate of trying to do that. All right, let's move on to the next section. You've validated the idea. You've come up with all of this. The piece is written. Tell me about your pregame before you edit. Yeah, so like context acquisition is probably like the most important thing to do. There is so much more to the performance of an article than just the words on the page. That is part of it, but that is not all of it. And to have any idea of whether this is going to be good and useful to you, you have to understand the broader context it exists in. So why is this article created? What is the intended distribution method? What is the biggest strategy it fits into? What are the desirable outcomes you want of this? And who is the reader? All of those, they are necessary bits of information to work out whether this thing is going to be good and do the thing you hope it will. Because a lot of times, you know, line edits, they won't materially impact lots of those really important criteria. I almost think about this kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of editing. There's no point doing line edits if you are writing an SEO article and you've completely botched the search intent and like it's never going to match that in a million years. You have to understand that stuff before you move on to the more like detailed granular edits. I'm always trying to read it through end to end as well because I find it very hard to do, but I know it's really like unfair to the reader to jump in and immediately leave edits when you've not taken the time to read the whole thing and digested it as a whole. So I always try and do that. And then probably lastly, like, be a bit pragmatic and work out, do we have time for developmental editing? Is this something that we can take our time over and test the fundamental thesis? Or is this something that we just have to get live and our job is to make it the best possible version of what, whatever it is now? Because there's so many ways you can edit, so many ways to be useful and to try and improve content. You do have to bound the scope of how you're going to wade into the fray, I think. I was talking with Emily Triplett-Lentz over at Calendly uh few shows ago. And one of the things she had said was exactly what you were talking about. Is it even doing what it is that we're trying to do? And she says, I won't even do any line edits if the idea itself isn't great. So I'll, or if it clearly missed the mark. So she'll get on a Loom video to walk through it, to do those developmental things, because it's not even worth the time as an editor to like spend that much time in there if it just doesn't hit the mark right away. Well, let's break into the second half. Let's jump into the live edit itself. All right. First impression of the article. What did you think before you started jumping into it? 
And that's it for the podcast edition of The Cutting Room. If you'd like to watch while Ryan edits live, click on the link in the show notes and you'll be brought directly to the edit on our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to attend the next live session, sign up for our email list at thecontentstudio.com forward slash The Cutting Room or by following the link in the show notes. Thank you again, and we'll see you in the next one.